happy Mother's Day to all of you moms who are on this right now and not out enjoying brunch. I don't know, but we're, we're excited to have you with us for our second week of the series Established. And again, if you forgot the definition, having been in existence for a long time and therefore recognized and generally accepted, we're looking at being established. It says in the Psalms in 37:23, the steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. We want to step by step follow in the Lord's way. God wants to establish our faith in him, deeply rooted and cultivated in a way that bears fruit in every season. In this series, we are developing a new muscle memory of the faith. We're, we're challenging practices of the past in order to step into a deeply established faith as individuals and as the church in order to fulfill God's full potential for our lives. And last week, we leaned into the understanding of being before doing yeah, for Jesus. And today, we'll try to wrap our minds around the fact that we have been influenced by the world around us and how to grow our relationship with Jesus. Maybe we don't even recognize it. And we will set our minds on a course correction that will have us following the, the crucified Jesus instead of shortchanging what Jesus actually accomplished for you and me. Listen to this moment in Matthew 16, verse 21 says, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, leaders, leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Can you imagine reprimanding the Son of God? I, I just can't imagine playing that out. It continues. He, he, said, he said this, Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turns to Peter and said, Get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. And then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. Peter did not understand. Uh, he did not understand that he was really shortchanging the full plan of the gospel, which involved uh, Jesus walking faithfully through his life, all the prophecies that had to have been fulfilled, and he had to go all the way to the cross. He had to go all the way three days later to the grave and raise to life, ascend to heaven, give us the promised Holy Spirit. These things had to happen. This was God's promise to us. And, and Peter was in love with the Jesus who, who loved everybody, the Jesus who, who does miracles, the Jesus who heals the sick, the Jesus who, who teaches with authority, the Jesus 
who rescues you, the Jesus who demonstrates compassion for people, the Jesus who stood up to the religious rulers and authorities of the day. But the vision of the savior of the world was limited to the the worldly benefits of Jesus and not the eternal benefits of Jesus and an eternal rule. Paul said it this way, because he understood on the other side, the full gospel. He said in 1 Corinthians 2.2, I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. Man, what a difference, right? Our big idea today is follow the crucified Jesus. Follow the crucified Jesus. Jesus is trying to take his disciples on a deeper spiritual journey here. And uh, there's nothing in their cultural framework that really was helping them understand what he began to teach about this dying and raising to life. And, and they were expecting an earthly king and rule. They wanted to spend the rest. They, they were chosen. They were the faithful disciples. Crowds would come and go, but they were still there and they were going to serve for a lifetime and when it was just three short years of ministry and all these, these predictions of death and, and, and pain, you can see how Peter kind of jumped in front of Jesus there for a moment uh, in disappointment. I mean, he demonstrates, Peter does, a lack of uh, curiosity. He demonstrates it in a way that we often do where we we don't ask questions. We don't listen. We simply choose to like defend our expectation or path that we thought, the way we thought everything was going to work out. And in essence, like we jump in front of God and try to hinder him from going forward when God's like, no, but this is, this is the path that we need to go on. And so a good contemplative question today would be, have you ever found yourself in front of Jesus when when all he has asked is for you to follow, right? And, and, and you, you're like in front of him going, really? Do we have to go this way, God? And our faith must be informed by the cross and resurrection. Our faith has to be not just the feel-good understanding of Jesus' life, but the full understanding of what he came and accomplished for us. So we find ourselves tempted, uh, tempted to limit our faith by following the world's discipleship versus the discipleship of Jesus, if you would. I mean, we want to live life to the full and walk in peace of mind. And so if we want to do that, we got to do two things in order to follow the crucified Christ. We have to resist the temptation of worldly discipleship and practice biblical discipleship. Uh, those are our two thoughts today. Let's look first at resisting temptation of worldly discipleship. Uh, there's really four main temptations, I think, that we allow to overcome us. And they're the same ones that Peter was dealing with. Um, they were informing his behavior. And, and so, we need to look at these and really weigh, man, how am I facing these temptations? The temptation of popularity. How about this one? 
Popularity is a huge temptation that motivates us to do things we never intended to do. Uh, that we would, it, it limits our embrace of the cross and resurrection because that was the world rejecting their leader. And so it was in no way allowing them to continue to be popular and draw crowds of thousands that they were experiencing, right? Popularity is defined as to be liked, enjoyed, or admired by many people. I mean, think through your week. Just this, just this last week. Don't go too far back. Think of this last week. What choices did you make that were influenced by your desire to be liked and admired by other people. Now, knowing my like disc profile, I know that I have enough uh, people personality aspect to my, my personality type that I really don't like it when people don't like me. Like it bothers me, it hurts. So it's easy for me to stumble here and just not make hard choices or speak hard truths at times because I don't want somebody not to like me. It doesn't feel good when people don't like you. So Jesus flat out calls out the religious rulers on this at times. And I love the instance in Matthew 23, 5. He says, everything they do is for show. Speaking of the religious rulers, on their arms, they wear extra wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside. We ought to, we ought to go back to that, I think. That'd be kind of cool for us to wear square scripture boxes. Anyway, they wear robes with extra long tassels. I mean, he just goes after them because they're doing it for show. Where's the authenticity in that faith, right? I mean, when you take a step back and consider your practices and the reality that they're regularly influenced by the temptation of popularity, it instigates some change. So let's just be aware of it. I mean, maybe it's you give a dishonest praise or affirmation to someone or something that you actually only half mean because <laughs> you just don't want to hurt their feelings or you might even disagree with the decision, but you just go along with it for the sake of popularity. How about lying in order to be perceived as better than you actually feel? I mean, you know, oh, I'm great. Things are awesome. How often do we do that when we're stressed and anxious? And how about, you know, I mean, younger people do this a lot. I know kids struggle with this probably the most, but passing the blame so you're not the one that is perceived to have done the wrong. I mean, that's an easy, you, you don't wanna lose popularity, so they did it, <laughs> you know? It's so easy to make choices like this. Jesus went to the cross, rose from the grave to give us a way to freedom. And freedom comes when we no longer need uh, to be somebody special in the eyes of the world around us, in the eyes of others, what if we can find our value and affirmation in God alone, right? We have an audience of one. Second temptation, greatness. And man, this is, these just layer, honestly, similar to popularity. It's not just the, the one fitting in now. This is the one 
winning. It's the one, you know, we've been taught since we were little. You got to, as Nacho Libre would say, you got to be the best. You know, you got to be the best. And this is not do your best. There's a difference. That's okay if you give your all, right? This is the selfish desire to be the best. This is kick someone else down so I could be the king of the hill, right? Be the straight A student. Get into the best college, even if we have to cheat our way there <laughs> the last few years. That's been an interesting story. How about I got to be the best athlete? I've got to marry the best person. And now, because of Hallmark Christmas movies, all of a sudden they have to go from a lumberjack to a prince. Come on, somebody. Uh, I have to buy the best car, have the right house, live in the right neighborhood. I've got to be great. Greatness is a, uh, an aspiration that is fleeting, isn't it? And we've witnessed what the weight and the pressures of this kind of pressure we're putting on our kids in the world around us has birthed. It's just anxiety and depression. And now we see so much more when people are sharing everything and the best version of themselves all over online. And now that feeling of being greatness is great is so hard to attain, but yet people still give into the temptation and chase after it. Greatness in itself is not the problem. The problem is when that greatness is for the approval of everybody around you versus God. I remember my first brutal experience in wake up to the fact that this even makes its way into the church. Uh, I was pretty new to the faith and I began to serve in the church and I was serving in a ministry within the church that I got to sit around the table and feed ideas towards the future and, and ideas and creativity. And, and I remember brainstorming these ideas and beginning to implement a bunch of them as a ministry. And we started to reach dozens of more people. And, and I come to find out that the staff member who was leading that uh, brainstorming and, and, and the, the, a friend of mine took all the credit for all those ideas that I'd come up with and put into practice. And I remember just going, wow, that kind of hurt. The funny thing is, as I recalled this, uh, I could not even remember what the idea was. So how important was the moment, really? But at the time, I was disillusioned a little, I guess you'd say, that somebody would, would like lie to elevate themselves and become greater, even within the staff of a church. That was brutal discovery. And I don't think it matters your age. I don't think it matters your industry. I mean, if you've got the temptation coming at you for greatness, you'll do whatever it takes to get to the top. And Jesus challenged us to find greatness through humility. Matthew 23, verse 11, the greatest among you must be your what? Servant. But those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. How would your faith in life operate differently if the only affirmation you sought was from God in heaven? It's hard to imagine, but it is possible. Jesus shares what our efforts should truly focus on. 
And he said, they should focus on an affirmation from God that goes like Matthew 25, 21. Well done, good and faithful servant. Man, I want to hear that. And I hope you do too. Third temptation is success, right? So we've got that popularity factor, the greatness factor. And how about success? Like greatness, we want to, to live up to what is viewed to be uh, success, right? We're tempted to live up to the view of success in the world around us. And this drives us towards selfish ambition and flip-flopping our values and constantly moving the target. And it gets confusing to follow that type of a leader. Uh, we're willing to climb over anyone to get to the top of the ladder of success. And that's not truly living. The, there's a story I encourage you to read in Acts 8 in its entirety. It begins in verse 9. I'll read the first two verses. It says, uh, a man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one, the power of God. It wasn't the power of God he was using. He wasn't even a follower of Jesus at the time. He was a, a sorcerer, right? And he loved being great. He wanted to be the great test. You see this pattern that he wanted to be the most successful. Well, Philip shows up on the scene, shares the gospel, and the community gives their life to Jesus, including Simon. And Simon then is filled with the Holy Spirit when other apostles showed up and laid hands on people. And when he saw them laying hands on others and they were receiving the Holy Spirit, he realized he wasn't the greatest anymore or the most successful in that space. And he offered to pay Peter money to be able to lay hands on people and have the Holy Spirit come upon them like what was occurring. But he was rebuked by Peter. And boy, Peter, I'm sure, had in his mind lots of moments he was rebuked so he knew how to do it, right? So he gave it to him. And Simon repented. Right then, verbally, he, he, he realized he did something really wrong. And I think we should too. When we find ourselves striving for success and we realize we've just climbed over somebody, oh man, what if we embrace the definition instead that Peter Scazzaro says, he says, success is becoming the person God calls you to become and doing what God calls you to do in his way and according to his timeline. It has nothing to do with what other people perceive as the most powerful, greatest, successful, right? Well, temptation number four is a little bit different side, right? It's the avoidance of suffering, the avoidance of pain and suffering, if you would. I mean, we can see so many parallels to the world we live in today right here in Scripture. I think of the cities of, of Corinth and Ephesus, and, and, and they were hubs kind of like Seattle and Tacoma and this region, just international hubs. There was coming and going, a lot of culture. The, the life of the community was bustling, lots of influences from all over around the world. 
And Paul specifically in the books of First and Second Corinthians is addressing a ton of influences and culture and that the world has crept into the church and he's trying to teach them how to stay pure and live according to the ways of Jesus, not the ways of the world. And he, he writes some pretty articulate letters. And he himself is somebody who knows what he's writing about because he did a radical transformation for his coming to Jesus. Uh, he was a persecutor of the faith. He did a 180, you'd say, you know, and, and he went from killing Christians to leading people to Christ. And it was radical transformation, radical infilling of the Holy Spirit. God was doing things all around him to just really identify that he was Jesus. He had a lot actually in his story to tell and boast about if he wanted to see, to share and become the most successful uh, disciple, he could have really put himself in that position. But listen to what he challenges people to do. Second Corinthians 11.30, he says, if I must boast, I would rather boast about the things that show how weak I am. Why would he say that? Why would he put himself in that place? Well, he doesn't want to seem perfect to people. He doesn't want to seem like you have to just be the most popular, the greatest, the success. No, I'm going to share about my pain and I'm going to share about my suffering and I'm going to share about the weaknesses that has brought into my life because Jesus had to endure pain and suffering and go through the human weakness, considering himself all human, not God, making his way to the cross, dying for us, raising three days later so that we could overcome death, hell, and the grave and giving us the promise of eternal life, giving us the Holy Spirit so we could walk in authority and power just as he did. I mean, I look at this, we can't escape the path of suffering. We need to or endure it when it comes and not just dismiss it because it's through the pain, it's through the suffering, it's through the weakness that we relate to others around us. And often God shows his faithfulness to us through the pain. Don't give in to the worldly desire to appear perfect and therefore be nothing but a facade. Resist the temptations of worldly discipleship. Okay, let's flip it to thought two, right? We need to practice biblical discipleship. Biblical discipleship, like what is Jesus showing us? What can we see in scripture? How do we build this new muscle memory of the faith that has great rhythms and practices in order to be uh, one who really exercises our faith in a way that grows our relationship deeper under the surface than maybe a worldly discipleship would allow, that allows the Holy Spirit to do a deep work in our lives. Well, the first exercise we got to do is we have to relax in Jesus. Listen to this passage, John 6, 28. They replied, we want to perform God's work too. What should we do? They're questioning Jesus. And, and Jesus tells them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. That's a head scratcher because they were wanting to know what, what can I do to have favor with God? And he's like, well, you need to, 
You need to be, you need to believe. And the phrase believe in him is an invitation to trust in God, trust in Jesus. In fact, Jesus refers to this 98 times in the book of John. That's a, a lot of repetition there. And repetition is the mother of learning, right? It was on Mother's Day, right there for you. It was the theologian Frederick Dale Bruner that captured the richness and really the visual, I guess you would say, emphasis of what Jesus kept teaching 98 times in the book of John. Um, he, he referred to this as relaxing in, right? Relaxing in Jesus. It, it's a good modern translation of trusting in or believing in, he said. And I can't think, when I hear that term relaxing in, I picture our COVID project last summer. We put in a, a, a new pool in our backyard, above ground pool, and, and it, but it's only solar heated. We didn't like spring for a, a heater that could heat as much water as what's in this thing. And uh, so it's often got a nice cool like, whew, you know, you have to go in and take the shock off. And uh, so one way we avoid that is tubes, right? And we'll just float on air mattresses and, and the water can be cold. But if you're if you just put your your yourself out there on the air mattress and just you could float around forever, even though the water it is cold around you and the world is bustling around you, you can just relax. And it's like, that's what I can do in my relationship with Jesus too, is I could just, I could relax in Jesus. Just believe in Jesus. Take a deep breath. It's so easy to fall asleep on those mattresses out in the sun. And what if we could have that kind of peace in our life that we could go, okay, God, you got this. I mean, Jesus models this in his life. He remains calm and collected. He falls asleep in a storm on a boat. I mean, it was not only when he was in a crowd, but when he was being trapped and accused, he would stay calm. And he knew his father in heaven. He relaxed in the moment. He was able to remain in his father's mission and in his father's will, even all the way through the suffering of the cross and the grave, and the resurrection. He relaxed in his purpose. And just as we relax in, in a pool or however you relax on a hammock or whatever it be, the cares of the world are spinning around us, but we get to relax in Jesus, maintaining a rhythm of being with Jesus even in busy seasons. In fact, it's more important to relax in him when things are chaotic around us. Experiencing lack of anxiety in our bodies and, and because of our solitude with Jesus, living less rigid when things aren't going as planned because we can relax in Jesus, resting solely on our belief in him. I love that. The second exercise that we really need to do to practice, let's, we need to let go for Jesus. So we need to let go of some things. Um, fairly self-explanatory, this is letting go of what we knew in order to cling to what we discover in our relationship with Jesus. Instead of getting Jesus to bless everything we're holding on to, what if we can let go and embrace the new? Mark 8, 
35 says, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you'll save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? I don't think any of us want to do that. I don't think we want to hold on that tightly, right? The surrender of self-will is one of the most challenging, but, but gives way to all glory going to God when we just trust in him. It's that not my will, but your will be done muscle memory that we need to develop. And that is biblical discipleship. Final exercise that I'll address here is, and we're going to hit it throughout the whole series, is listen to Jesus. Man, listen to Jesus. This is where Peter, again, tripped up, right? He wasn't curious. He didn't really try to figure out what Jesus was saying when he was talking about his suffering and the pending cross and, and this. Instead of listening and being curious, he cut Jesus off and stepped in front of him, which resulted in him learning really good how to be rebuked. And uh, he had in mind the ways of the world, and he didn't open his ears or mind yet to the ways of heaven on earth. And as we shared about last week, this takes a radical decision to be a good listener, to create the margin, the solitude, to be present with God, and hear that still small voice of the Holy Spirit guiding us so that we can once again be in a position to follow the crucified Christ instead of stepping in front or just allowing the worldly pressures and temptations to guide our path. Our action point this week is daily exercise your faith in the crucified Jesus. Again, we gotta resist the temptations of popularity, greatness, success, the avoidance of pain and suffering, if you will. And then we need to practice biblical discipleship, developing the muscle memory of our faith in Jesus. We've got to learn to relax in Jesus. Let go for Jesus. Listen. And Jesus' commitment to us is that our relationship is going to become more intimate, deeper, He's gonna take us to a place. He was trying to take his disciples there. We'll actually be able to hear him and follow his lead. That's what I wanna pray over you this week. Thank you all for being here. Happy Mother's Day again, but let's pray. God, I thank you for the opportunity we have to dive into your word and learn from you, Jesus. Follow really these practices of biblical discipleship and, and break free from the worldly influences that even have us clamoring and positioning within the kingdom of God. I pray that we could, could be great curiosity curators, if you will, of the faith and, and hear your voice and explore what you're doing ahead of us and that we would resist the temptation to block your way, to be a stumbling block to you, to get in front of you and hinder you. God, we want to follow you. We want to follow the crucified Jesus. Thank you for your suffering for us so that we could be forgiven of our sins. And thank you for leading us, not just now, but eternally. Our expectancy of 
really being established in the faith deeper than ever through this series is high. And so I thank you for walking us through this challenge, that we would recognize true discipleship, true biblical muscle memory of the faith that we have to develop. And it's not always culturally normal. So help us break out of the path that maybe is a rut to us in our faith and begin developing new practices, relaxing in you, Jesus, letting go of things of the past so that we can reach out and, and grab a hold of you, Jesus, that we could find ourselves listening greater than we ever have in the faith. The best is yet to come, and we thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being with us this week.